I was born on the 19th of March 1899 in Liverpool, England. My father, Rutherford Myers, was a wealthy landowner who inherited his father's vast estate. He had taken up the family tradition of farming as a business. I spent most of my childhood accompanying my father to the farms, where he supervised his numerous workers, many of whom were Irish. When I reached five, my father took me to Holden School where I discovered my passion for geography. I loved poring over maps of the world, and was greatly fascinated by the many lands where the British Empire extended. India was particularly intriguing. My father told me about his friend Alexander Horst, who worked in Rajasthan as a royal admiral. As I advanced through school this fascination with India continued to grow and in 1914 I graduated from high school and resolved to travel to India. I never thought that England would go to war with Germany. I knew a German friend in school, whose mother came from Germany. It soon emerged that the German army was advancing an attack against Belgium. I knew that Britain had guaranteed to defend the King of Belgium, and knew right away that England would soon go to war. However, I was even more shocked to learn from my French friend that Germany's original plan was to attack France. War became the daily talk as everybody tried to understand what would happen if England went to war. Personally I did not care much, as I cannot understand why these things happen anyway. It only hit me that war was really coming when six young men from my hometown volunteered to serve under the popular program of PALS Battalion. Many young men eagerly volunteered as the war was popularized on every and radio. I remember the posters with Lord Kitchener pointing a finger with the words the country needs you. I could not be left behind. I enlisted in December 1914. My memories of the war are replete with anger, frustration and torment. I remember seeing young boys enlisting for the war oblivious of what they were getting themselves into. Many of them were killed in dangerous situations, which they stupidly put themselves into. From the start I did not like the whole idea of going to war, especially because I knew a number of German friends. Maybe I would end up killing my friend's uncle, or brother. I hated the trenches. Life was miserable there, all the time sitting in the trenches and waiting for an enemy that never came, and when they attacked, I was sure to lose five soldiers. It did not make sense at all. My anger reached intolerable levels when I went back home on leave in August 1917 to find people very enthusiastic and happy about our victory completely ignorant of the real facts on the ground. We were losing people every day, we were ill-equipped and supplies never seemed to reach the front lines, and here were women praising England and admonishing those who stayed behind. I resolved to leave for India immediately the war ended. The idea to immigrate to Kenya had never crossed my mind before. Had I not met Jennifer and fallen madly in love with her, I'd probably have proceeded to India as planned and my life would be totally different. We got married on 6th of February 1920, after I had cleared myself with the army. When she heard that I had always wanted to go to India, she told me about her uncle who lived in Kenya. He owned a vast ranch where he grew wheat and maize for export. She suggested that it would be a good idea to take up the advertisements for land in Kenya, which seemed to have great potential for farming business. When I asked my father for his opinion, all he told me was, you are better off anywhere else in the empire than here in England. We moved to Kenya in January 1923, after an unexpectedly easy immigration process. When we first arrived at the port of Mombasa, I was struck by the beauty of the oceanfront, and the city's oriental architecture. This was not the Africa I imagined. Soon after, we packed our many boxes of belongings onto the Lunatic Express, and began our overnight journey upcountry. 
I slept throughout the night, waking up the following morning in the famous White Highlands near Nairobi. What a beauty! I immediately knew that it was the right decision to choose Kenya over India. My wife was even more excited as she was now seeing all the beautiful land that her cousins described in letters. We moved further down from Nairobi and alighted at the famous Soisambu ranch near Nakuru, which was owned by my father's old friend, Lord Delamere. The burly old man met us himself outside the gates and drove us into his homestead, a magical recreation of a typical Liverpool home. This is exactly what I wanted to do, start a completely new adventurous life without parting completely with the comforts of life in England. We became regular visitors to Naivasha's Happy Valley, and for the first time since the war started, I felt a sense of purpose in life. Lord Delamere helped us to acquire and settle in our 6,000-acre farm at Rongai, which had spectacular views of the Aberdare Ranges to the east and the Mau Escarpments to the west. Lord Delamere headed the Colonists' Association, which helped Europeans settle in Kenya. He was an amazing man with great enthusiasm for farming as a business. However, I found it absolutely odd that he spoke Ma and Kikuyu languages fluently. He related his struggles to establish successful agricultural ventures, making it clear that after all life here would not be all songs and roses. I resolved to consult him regularly for advice and financial assistance, especially in the first few years of our stay. Tea, coffee and pyrethrum were doing better in the highlands but required more labor than maize and wheat. I decided to concentrate on the latter, which according to Delamere, were the best options in the Rift Valley. For close to 20 years, I worked tirelessly, season after season, earning sufficient returns to comfortably raise our three children, John, Anna, and Henry. Henry especially took after his grandfather's farming instincts and was always accompanying me to the fields. John on the other hand was rather wild, perhaps influenced by the vastness of opportunities in Africa. I resolved to send them to St. Mary's School in Nairobi, where Catholic religious strictness would keep him out of trouble. Immediately the Second World War broke out, John dropped out of school to start a small business exporting maize to England, where the war had created a huge demand for food. My farm was also making huge profits from to the war, and so I encouraged him to continue. However, all this was doomed to come to a halt when Mau Mau War broke out. The war took many of us by surprise as native servants turned on their European masters, without any warning or provocation. I was especially shaken by the murder of Eric Bowker, who had been a family friend for more than 10 years. Bowker's mutilated body was found disemboweled inside his home near Naivasha. His wife Peggy had been beheaded and her headless body left naked on the front porch. Our world was turned upside down as fear became the order of the day. I was especially worried for my family as Anne and Henry still lived with us on the farm. For six years, we lived under a state of emergency, terrified of what might befall us. Every day there were news of brutal and senseless killings by the Mau Mau, which even the government seemed unable to stop. I had employed many Kikuyus on my farm, and was afraid they could turn against us. Eventually, the war came to an end, but it was clear that Kenya would no longer remain, a white man's country, as Delamere believed. I knew that we had to leave when natives got independence. It was hard to trust that farming business would be the same. In 1960 I applied to sell my land under the Million Acre Scheme, which was spearheaded by Jomo Kenyatta, and meant to resettle blacks through a willing buyer-willing seller approach. Having had so eventful a life, I decided to buy a small house in Cape Town, and spend my twilight years facing the sea and writing newspaper articles about farming as a business. Though once again it was my wife's idea to write an autobiography, I now realized how fulfilling my life has been after leaving England. Nevertheless, I still consider myself, a proud subject of the United Kingdom. God save the Queen!